0: Expanded Thinking is a new podcast produced by Talking Words. I'm your host, Walter Mason, and in this special eight-part series of conversations with writers, creators, and spiritual practitioners, I'll be introducing you to some remarkable guests whose powerful ideas and extraordinary stories will inspire you to live a more fulfilling and more expansive life. In this week's episode, I'm chatting to Alana Fairchild, an author and spiritual teacher acclaimed all over the world for her angelic light work. Alana is an Australian creative visionary whose work encompasses books, oracle cards and transformational online courses. She is the creator of the White Light Frequencies Cards, the Kuan Yin Transmission Book Cards and Associated Course, and her beloved Angelic Lightwork Book and Oracle Cards. Today... We're going to talk about white light frequencies, healing, angels, and so much more. Alana, you're here. Yay. You're blessing <laughs> us. And this is a wonderful visitation <laughs> from a divine being. Uh, how have you been?
1: I'm really well. It's so nice to, to see you and to oh, be here.
0: Face to face. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it?
1: You treasure it more when it's been denied for a while.
0: Yeah, You do, you do. You don't mm. realise what you missed. Yes, it's true. Yeah, that yeah.
1: human connection, it's really amazing. It's gorgeous.
0: Mm. Alana, another thing that's gorgeous is your book, Angelic Lightwork. <laughs> I, it's a perfect size. I pop it into <laughs> my bag quite regularly <laughs> and, and, I, and I open it up and, and see what it has to say. Um, And in it, you set out the angels we work with, the areas of speciality and how they spread their blessings so abundantly throughout the world. Alana, how can we best be channels for these angelic beings?
1: I love that question. I also love that it's travel friendly because I'm not known for that. Those oracle decks (laughs) usually (laughs) are more than a kilo each. I've tried to travel with them before, so it's a thing. Um, But I love that question. I think angelic energy connects from the heart and one of the things that I really love about it is that it's so multicultural, it's so universal and they pop up in all these different forms throughout the ages. So there's something... Profoundly human about our connection to the angelic realm, and in that, I think it's quite natural. So, you don't have to belong to a particular culture or a particular spiritual tradition to be able to access them. You can, of course, but you don't have to. So, I think that gives us a nice level playing field to start with. And the capacity to connect from the heart is really where I would say to start with. And I know sometimes people don't actually know how to do that, so occasionally. On social media, we might get a question like, how do I actually connect with my heart? Tell us, tell us. I know for me, one of the first things that I would say in response to that is notice your breathing (laughs) Ah. because it gives you that physical anchor to just connect to the body. And then the second thing I would say is, what do you feel grateful for in the moment? And it's such a simple thing. It could be, I'm grateful that I was able to get up and get out of bed and move. I'm grateful I can do yoga. I'm grateful that I have compassion. So if someone's sick, I can say a prayer for them. It could be all sorts of things, but keeping it simple. And that's usually enough to help us kind of drop out of that mental state of worry and anxiety and, you know, future thinking. What if this happens? What if that happens? That... I think is causing so much, not only mental but emotional fatigue uh, in the collective at the moment. So coming back to the heart and just dropping into that place of gratitude is a perfect place to then say, angelic beings who love me unconditionally, come on in. (laughs) Whatever you want to help me with, I'm so grateful to receive. And then if there's something in particular that's bothering you, you can talk about it like you were talking to your best friend.
0: It's that easy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is.
0: I love the simplicity of of your advice. Yeah.
1: Well, I like to make things accessible, because yeah. I think we all need it. So Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: So the book is called Angelic Lightwork.
1: What's light work? Lightwork to me is also quite a universal thing. It's a capacity, a willingness to connect with the goodness that's inherent in the universe and in life itself and we might call it light, uh, but I mean spiritual light. I don't mean the kind of physical light that casts a shadow. So I'm talking about the spiritual light that is eternal, that is uh, always there. It's kind of transcendent. It's what we're actually at that deeper level made of, even physically. There's that light in the body. In fact, I remember one experience I had, it was with a healer and I'd seen her several times before and she does craniosacral therapy, which is beautiful therapy, so relaxing. So I was lying on the massage table and she was um, placing her hands around the base of my skull and it was all very restful. And then I just had this moment where I dropped into my body. It was just like a sense of moving inwards and I felt my bones were floating in space and I was sort of, my awareness was dropping into my bones and they were just radiant. It was like they were made of light. And I had this thought move through my head and it was just, my goodness, we're more light than we are matter. And it was such a visceral experience. And then afterwards, because as you know, after the ecstatic, what's that book? After the ecstasy, the laundry. So yep. after the beautiful <laughs> yeah. experience, all the purification. So <laughs> it was all the emotional stuff came up the uh-huh. few days, the clearing that happened after, just from that two, three seconds experience of the depths of our our beauty and our being. Now that's not just me, that's human beings. So I think light is our spiritual birthright. It's our spiritual substance deeper within. And that might sound a bit kind of philosophical or a bit unwieldy, but I think if we have that sense that this is what we are, it makes it easier to call it in, to see it around us and to want to connect with that sense of goodness and that sense of grace, which is what light essentially is in the spiritual context.
0: What a beautiful idea, the sense of grace and also the sense that the densest part of us, the bones, yeah. are in fact light. It's beautiful. Your cards, the white light frequency cards, I'm just a fanboy of. <laughs> I, I have sold so many, so many <laughs> the decks of those cards. Um, they're amazing. And somehow through these oracle cards, the energy of light and of sound – seems to come through them. I think they're, they're sort of amazing objects, Alana. Can you tell us about the white light frequencies and why these sound waves are so important?
1: I loved writing that deck and I loved it. There's always a story, really, with the different decks. And with this one, the artist who is just... So that's uh, Andrew Gonzalez, Andrew A. Gonzalez. He is such a kind and humble and talented human being. He's really amazing. And I saw his art probably about twenty years ago. I think it was featured in like one of those well being magazine astrology specials. Yeah. Like back in the nineties or something <laughs> like that. It was a long time ago. And I was mesmerized by it, but I didn't have the language for why. I just knew I was so drawn to it. And then years and years and years later, I was at one of the it might have been actually one of the spiritual festivals that you and I were at together. Yeah. And this beautiful woman came up to me and she said, oh, why don't you write an oracle featuring the art by a. Andrew Gonzalez? And I was like, oh, who is that? You know, I didn't know his name at the time. And she, you know, plucked out her phone and, <laughs> and showed me a little, uh, like a screenshot of his art. And I'm like, oh, I know that artist. I know that art. And I instantly, white light oracle, just popped into my head. Wow. And so I stalked him on social media, which is, <laughs> you know, one of the few things social media is actually good for. So I'm stalking artists and trying to convince them to do oracle decks. <laughs> it happened with Shiloh with the Mother Mary oracle as well. But anyway, I, um, I asked him and he said yes. I straight away, he was so open to it. And it just felt divinely inspired. So when it came time to sit down and write to the deck, I finally understood why it was that I was so drawn to it, but also why it had taken me so long to be able to actually write it and conceptualise what that deck was actually about. And I realised for me it was the ecstatic nature spiritually of being human Mm. and that was really hard because I didn't like being human for a very long time. I resisted it (laughs) in every possible way because it felt hard and confusing and strange and difficult. And I found it hard to like humanity at times. Um, one of my first spiritual teachers used to say that she loved um, – how did she put it? She loved humanity, but she just couldn't handle humans. And, <laughs> and I kind of understood it was that sort of that difficulty. And it took me a long time to learn how to love the body and love the human journey because it's challenging and it 's difficult, but there 's a deep beauty in it. It takes a while to be able to find that. So to write to this particular deck was really about writing from that place of loving the human side, but honoring the deep, transcendent, profound spirituality that 's part of it. yeah and when I wrote it, there were a few cards that came like the message that came through for those cards were about frequencies and hurts uh-huh. um, So I think the first one was like 528 hertz. And I've always been interested in solfeggio frequencies, I thought. And the idea of sound for healing is so powerful. When I was doing one-on-one healing, which I don't anymore, but I did for a long time. And I used to do energy work and work with light and visualisation. And then one day I just sang I just sang into the (laughs) the top of someone's head and occasionally little healing songs would come through little phrases and so I just sing them and people always said to me how did you like it meant something to them those little phrases and what I noticed with the words and the use of sound was that the healing happened much more deeply and much more quickly And I thought, gosh, sound is really, which of course everyone knows who's studied mantra or Buddhism or Hinduism, but at the time I hadn't really been exposed to that. So it was a revelation to me. And then I thought, I want to use sound. And that sort of evolved over the years and then learning about healing frequencies. It was just a kind of natural instinct to want to include it in the deck. So what I actually did when I was writing it is I imbued the intention that The cards that have the frequency messages that they actually carry the frequency, because I think intention is powerful. So, what's happened with that deck? It's consistently a bestseller and people love it. And I wasn't sure because it's quite advanced, like the concepts in there, they're not simple concepts. And I thought, is anyone going to (laughs) really, you know, I thought maybe there'll be a small group of like, you know, the real advanced, diehard, spiritual, you know, esoteric people that will love it. But it's got quite a broad audience and it's not a beginner's deck at all but it seems to be reaching a lot of people and I, I just think I'm so grateful. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How does it feel for putting really beautiful things out into the world? So you, oh. mu- you must get a great resp- response from that as well.
1: I love it. I really do. I, um, I'm a sensitive person and I am moved by beauty quite deeply. I always have been. Nature... You know, just and sometimes the beauty of the soul path, which is a different kind of beauty. Sometimes there's even beauty in our wounds when you see how they help us heal. That's kind of beautiful. So that moves me a lot. And to be able to create just beautiful things that offer healing and offer love, to me, that's a great gift. And it's a great freedom because there are. You know, there are energies, there are forms of consciousness that kind of want to turn beautiful things ugly. Like we've got to (laughs) just acknowledge that sort of part of what we're dealing with in the world um, without becoming paranoid about it, but just acknowledge it and say, okay, how do I want to respond to that? And to sort of create something that is beautiful in the true sense where it has depth and it has meaning and... It's not just about something that looks pretty. It's yes. something that has that substance. I think that's a kind of lovely, defiant affirmation of <laughs> yeah. the glory in the natural world too,
0: you know. Yeah. That declaration of substance is, is an interesting and beautiful idea. Alana, I have a little treasure of yours. It's a little book with a CD and the subject is trust. Oh. <laughs> what a beautiful thing to send out into the world, <laughs> trust. Trust. And and I often dip into it. I think it's just the loveliest thing. And you've helped me to understand that trust is an important thing. We live in a distrustful world, I think. you know. How do we trust in healing? How do we trust in love? And how do we trust in support that we may not see or understand?
1: That's such a beautiful question. I remember once, and again, this was a long time ago when I still did uh, readings. That's how I started, actually, I was doing readings. And I remember this fellow, gorgeous mathematician, like just, you know, had all his, you know, life organised. Everything was kind of cool. And he started on the spiritual path because his wife was interested in it. And she'd been coming to do meditation classes with me for a while. And then he showed up and he said – you know, I can see something's changing in her. And he kind of wanted that same thing for himself. So we sat down and we talked in a very intellectual way about the spiritual path. And then I remember saying to him, you're going to have to trust at some point and let go of your need to control and understand everything in advance. And he just said to me, well, how do I do that? So I had, you know, I thought, gosh, if I had a pill or something I could give you and we'd be done with it. But it's not like that. It's just, you just make the choice to do it. It's like, how do you love? You make the choice to do it. How do you ground yourself? You just, you have to make the choice. It starts from that place. And I think from the willingness, And there's a lot of courage that goes into that willingness, especially if, like most people, you've had abandonment or betrayals or neglect or things, you know, that have hurt you in the past. You have to come to a place where you say to yourself, do I want to try? Do I want to open? Do I want to, you know, treat it like an experiment, I say to people. Just treat it like an experiment. Try one thing. So if there's a problem that you have, just try with that and see how you go. Ask for help. Open up. And let go and know that if you keep picking it up by worrying about it again, if you keep feeling like you're, you know, mentally marinating on it, constantly trying to figure it out, then you haven't let go. So let go again, you know, ask for that help and then see what happens. And then when something happens, which it will, because, you know, we just <laughs> open the door, that tiny little crack, and then the universe kind of pours in and really brings through that support that we need, then you can try it with something else and then you try it with something else. And it's a little bit like we start to widen our sphere of what we're actually willing to allow the divine to help us with. And we might even get to the mortgage at one stage. I think, <laughs> for, <laughs> I think for most people that's where it really kind of hits the, the crunch point. It's like, okay, what's the last thing that I'm holding on to and can I allow that to be held in a grace that's bigger than my own immediate uh, understanding? Yeah. Mm.
0: It is a struggle, isn't it? it? Yeah, we think we're there, and then we realize we're holding on to something, and we want to control it. Yes. Yeah, it's hard. Alana, let's talk about the body. <laughs> uh, mine lets me down sometimes, and I'm 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 st- still uncomfortable with it, you know. And uh, but you it inhabit your body beautifully and gracefully because you're not just a sort of a creator of exquisite things you're a singer and you're a dancer uh where does the inspiration come from were you always a dancer
1: i've always loved dancing since i was a little girl but it broke my heart too because i wanted to do ballet oh. and i didn't have the turnout for it and even as a little girl i remember i would lie face down on the ground with my you know in frog post in yoga they talk yes. about trying to get my hips to turn out. I was just, yeah, I was pretty gruesome, really. But <laughs> but I, I really, I was heartbroken that I just couldn't do it. So I had that thing that you talk about where, you know, I felt that my body was letting me down. Yeah. And it was years later. What was I watching? I love children's shows. I just, I'm totally a kid at heart. So Kung Fu Panda, I would choose over some, like, mature psychological drama anytime. But I was watching a dance show. I think it's called Dance Academy it's an Australian series and it was fascinating it was about these kind of young teens that were um, very talented dancers in a ballet academy and it was chronicling their journey and there was one character in particular who was very very controlling very precise uh, and it was how she was great at what she did and I was watching her and I thought you know if I had a been able to tame my body and make it do what I wanted it to do from a mental perspective I would never have had the journey I've had I would not be a healer I would not have had a spiritual path in the way that I have it doesn't mean that you know other people would have the same journey or the same obstacles but for me it wouldn't have worked so the thing that actually I really wanted that I thought was going to break my heart was actually the thing that in a way saved my heart and allowed me to have this path that's been so beautiful so I had to kind of learn how to come into my body in a way that was more respectful and more accepting of what she was and her particular qualities and way uh, rather than trying to impose some external view upon it. And then I just found a different way of moving and a way that attuned me to energy in the body because the body's incredible. It's a whole universe in there. Like it's just amazing. It's, It's so much deeper than what we perceive as the physicality. So for me it's sort of a little bit the heart really of the spiritual path because it's the antenna too. It's the instrument, the receiving dish. Otherwise it all floats in the ethers. We have wonderful ideas that we half grasp onto and nothing happens in our lives in chaos and, (laughs) you know, nothing's coming together, nothing's manifesting and that's frustrating and painful too.
0: I've been there.
1: (laughs) We've all been there, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And if... A person struggles, poor self-image, not accepting their bodies. That's a very prevalent thing in our society. Totally. It's almost universal, I think. Yes, I would agree. Um, Is there a practice that you would would suggest or something to deal with this, almost a hatred of your body?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I've definitely moved through that and I still feel it in the culture, that uh, push for comparison too, which is so unhealthy. And I think through social media, you know, I don't want to demonise social media because I think we can do something valuable with it, but to acknowledge the shadow side of it and where we need to set limits is really important. But I think lately I've had this kind of phrase from Spirit, which I'm pretty sure is the beginning of a new program working on all of this, on soul making and the body, I'm feeling it. And I had a dream that I was being taught by a Jungian analyst the other night and I thought, mm, something's happening at a, <laughs> <laughs> at a deep level. I'm excited to see what that is. But the phrase is coming home to your body, coming home to your soul, coming home to your body. That's what I've been feeling. And I think there's something so beautiful about just taking a moment to reflect on the amazingness of the machine that is the body because it is kind of incredible. And then I would say to someone, start where your strength is. So if you're an arty type, draw it. Like I remember once, it was maybe 10, 15 years ago, but I was doing a class with women, we were just, we had like a meditation circle. And this idea came to me that we would draw our bodies. I don't even know why, but it did. And so we sat down with, uh, I told you I'm a kid, right? So we sat down <laughs> with like crayons and, <laughs> and paper. And this woman, uh, she hadn't really come to many classes before, but she rocked up again because a friend had told her and she thought, you know, I want to go. Anyway, she drew her body and she burst into tears. And she said it was the first time she felt like she'd actually given her body that loving attention to even begin to. And I thought, my goodness, like we we have this amazing instrument and we just have to be aware of that cultural pull to always, you know, be running after the next thing or um, having to contort it or to look a certain way or to feel a certain way. And then you get, so there's that kind of hatred at one level And it gets sometimes really hidden as well where there's a kind of – how would I describe it? It's the difference between loving your body on one hand and using your body as an instrument of power on Mm. another hand. So that can sometimes be the shadow side of the health industry too where it becomes more about how you look and are you Instagram worthy and all of this kind of stuff rather than actually – just loving your own body and recognising the limits. And it's something that age has taught me, actually. I really, even when I was younger, I was still pushing my body so many ways. And even now I still do. Like the spiritual work's quite hard on the body because you're demanding a lot of energy. So it's something I deal with daily, but I am more aware of it. And I hope a lot more grateful and a lot kinder to my body than I've ever been before.
0: Thank you for that. Mm. It calls me to be more grateful and thankful for what I've got, you know. Well,
1: I'm glad you're here in a body, Walter. We we'll wouldn't <laughs> be having this conversation. <laughs> and we all, the, wouldn't. <laughs> all the wonderful things that you do and all the people you help.
0: Bless you. Alana, I wanted to ask you about the spiritual beings that you work with because one of them is Kuan Yin. Yes. And it's Kuan Yin that brought us together. Yes. Because that's true. she's someone I rev- revere as well. Can you explain your, to us who Kuan Yin is and how she can help us to heal?
1: I just love this being so much. Um, I will share my view with an understanding that many people may have a, a nuanced or a slightly different view. For me, uh, I first learned about her as the goddess of compassion in the Chinese Buddhist tradition and then slowly but surely it was like a, you know, a kind of esoteric dance of the seven veils. She, <laughs> she unveiled herself in different forms and I then became aware of her Savalokitaswara uh, in Sanskrit or Chenrezig in Tibetan, and that she existed in Indian Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism, and she's uh, very um, as Chenrezig in Nepal. She so she's kind of everywhere, sure. and, and then <laughs> and then I learned about uh, the tears of. Um, of a as manifesting as forms of Tara. So then I realised that Tara was kind of like Kuan Yin as well. And then one of my beautiful Dzogchen master teachers who uh, lived in Tibet and then moved to live in Italy for various reasons and he taught Tibetan culture in Italy. He talked about the first time he went into a Catholic church and he walked in and he saw a statue of the Virgin Mary and he said, oh, it's Tara. Oh. And then I thought, and there and there's Kuan Yin, Tara, Mother Mary, <laughs> all is one again. So I began to realise that this beautiful, peaceful, compassionate, powerful, spiritually powerful being known as Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion, is actually popping up in all of our cultures everywhere. And I, I just want to share this with you. It's a, It's a story that I heard recently from a Tibetan Lama who was talking about an interview we heard with the Dalai Lama when the Dalai Lama was imprisoned. And an interviewer had asked the Dalai Lama, you know, were you afraid? Because, you know, death was around you, torture was around you. Were you afraid of, you know, dying or what were you afraid of? And the Dalai Lama replied, the only thing I was afraid of was losing my compassion. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just exquisite? And I thought, you know, that's that connection with Kuan Yin and that's that power that – so great. I heard it described recently as a love that is so powerful it can overwhelm any hatred or anguish in the body. Isn't that exquisitely beautiful? So
0: lovely. Yeah.
1: So to me, Kuan Yin is that, well, my grandmother used to say the iron fist in velvet glove. Yes, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> so she seems so gentle and she is, but she has the kind of love that disarms and that transforms and that allows us to step back from our reactions and our fear and our divisiveness and find a place of rest in the heart that can become fertile ground from which we can create a new paradigm, a new way of being with each other. And I hope my vision is of spiritual friendship amongst human beings so we can lay down some of the weapons that we wield against each other literally and psychologically and politically and find a way to utilise the best of all of us like different fabulous puzzle pieces in one great big master (laughs) puzzle (laughs) and work together because I think we need each other and we need different points of view and different skill sets to be able to solve the problems that are just too big to be solved by the current mindset that's in collective consciousness. So Kuan Yin is therefore not only spiritual grace and love but she's kind of the the bridge to a new world.
0: Beautiful. Alana, sometimes, sometimes I get a bit low energy. Yes. I wake up too late and I'm exhausted <sighs> or I I just think today's a bed day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> how do I how do I get myself out of those low energy days? A doona day. Mm, <laughs> doona that, days.
1: It's yes, yes. <laughs> doona days. That's so interesting. I recently came across a blog that was talking about different types of rest. And I was very interested in that because I think rest is something that we don't always have a good language for in yeah. Western culture. So I think probably a lot of people, I know I can certainly relate to what you're talking about, those times when we have to rally. And I think it's also, it's finding the distinction between do I need to rally or am I actually exhausted and I yes. <laughs> I need to give myself permission to rest? And then in a way, factoring that in, making it important enough that it becomes part of how we live, which in modern life is something of a challenge. I will acknowledge that. It really, we have to want to do it.
0: You just mentioned dreams. You had a a transformative, you had a healing dream. Yes. Tell us more about Use Our Own Dreams.
1: Dreams are amazing. And I heard it described recently that the symbols in dreams come out of the musculature of the body. Isn't that amazing? amazing yeah. So, they are our personal healing images in dreams. And I know they're crazy sometimes. They're kind of so weird and they're kind of obscure and difficult to penetrate, but that's their genius. That's their magic.
0: Your dream life, or how we oh, can use our own dreams.
1: Write a poem about them. I remember for some years. I went through a very, it's my big initiation phase, I call it. It went for about nine years and almost overnight, the work that I had built up and spiritual work just disappeared. Yeah. Just like whoop, overnight. And I felt like a turnip, like I'd been tipped upside down and planted in the earth and I couldn't make ready contact with my spiritual guides in the way I normally could. And the only thing I could do to keep some kind of sanity in all of that strangeness and disorientation and not knowing was to work with my dreams because it was the only thing that was available. So I had to kind of figure it out pretty quickly how to get through. So I would journal, I would draw them, I would do all the things that I talked about. I learnt something called the six squares method which was delightful and you would draw six squares on a page and in the first square you would draw the scene from your dream, the thing that you woke up with that you remembered and then you'd use your imagination to draw the next five squares and it it was fabulous and it would help bring through the energy of the dream and allow you to begin to work with it. And at the time, oh my goodness, I threw tantrums and I resisted because I thought, how is this useful? what the hell is this? I want to be a productive person (laughs) out in the world. You know, why is this happening? And it took me a long time to realise that I was being educated in the ways of the divine feminine. I just didn't know it then. And so I had to learn her language because it was the only thing that was available. And then suddenly it was symbolism and colour and feeling and the beautiful strangeness of dream images that actually open up other ways of thinking and and help you have intuitive insights that you couldn't grasp in a more rational, conscious way. Mm -hmm. And it just, it gave me a sense of how much power and how much healing potential and wisdom human beings have within us. Mm -hmm. You know, these aren't just random things. I think sometimes people think dreams are like a garbage dump of the day's random stuff that you couldn't quite figure out. You just get rid of it during the night and then you get up and go on with your day. But no, no, <laughs> no, no. no there's songs from your soul.
0: Alana, I read a lot. I spend too much time on the internet. <laughs> and I, I absorb lots and lots and lots of information. And my, my notebook here, I make plans for all the wonderful things I'm going to do tomorrow. And is that oh my goodness. they kind of much? stay in my notebook, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> how can I actually do things? How do we do the things that we learn about and what to do to move ahead? Uh, is there some sort of angelic energy that helps us or, or what's there?
1: I love that question. Yes, I mean, we can definitely talk about there's one angel in particular that comes to mind for this, which I'll mention in a moment, but I also think this is that feminine capacity too it's yeah. the manifestation ability and okay especially for creative types like you like you're a very creative type Malta you're interested in so many things I know for a lot of creators it's picking one thing and there's a there's a joy in manifestation but there's a sadness too because you're letting go of the potential in order to have the the realistic actuality and I don't know about you but uh, my imagination is a pretty beautiful place to <laughs> to hang Mine out, too. yeah, yeah. And so when you start to bring it through into the physical world, you, you do have to let go of the perfection of the image and allow it to become, you know, a little bit motley and yeah. a, <laughs> a little bit rough around the edges. But I also think there's a there's a gift in that and a heroism in that. So here it is. If I was allowed to rewrite something every day for the rest of my life, I would probably keep doing it. But instead, I'm going to say, (laughs) this feels like, you know, psychologists talk about the good enough mother. This feels like the good enough mother. I hope it's helpful. (laughs) And you let it go. So I think there's this kind of grappling with um, the material world and just accepting, you know, even nature redoes things every year, every Mm -hmm. spring. So we just kind of let it out. Yes. I think... When we make a decision to do something and we really allow our energy to mobilize towards that, things do happen. But we just we have to make that decision. It's voice is also intention and just that. It's kind of the decision we make before we know we've actually made a physical decision. Yeah. yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's incredibly powerful. And then it's practice. And this is kind of where integrity comes into it too, when you say you do something, will you do it? Yes. And and that's just practice, getting used to it, how it feels. And then I find for me, there's a pain in not following through with things. Actually, like it's I, that hurts me more than the effort required to bring something to life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh Wow, wow, yeah, the, yeah, the pain of not, not doing things, the pain of of p- potential unrealised. Yes, mm.
1: yes, like that's one of the things with dreams too. I think they bring into awareness parts of ourselves that we may not have known were there, yeah. and you know, the Dalai Lama sphere might be not having compassion, uh, that would be my fear too. But I also have a fear of the unlived life. Imagine getting to the end of your life and then thinking, yeah. Oh, what I was really yearning for was X or Y and I, I was too afraid to embrace that's a terrible thing. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: so just go and do it. Just
1: go and do it. I just I'm just very stubborn. I <laughs> my tourists ascendant I just like I'm oh, uh, just I'm going to do that. <laughs>
0: Alana What's one thing our listeners can all start doing today to live a more fulfilling and authentic life?
1: I'll give you the like advanced version okay. and then no, I'll and then it. I'll give you the version that's for like when we're having more timid days. So <laughs> <laughs> the advanced version would be to take a deep breath and place your hand on your heart and just say I will live in honor of you today. So just feeling that sense of what it is that your heart is guiding you to do. That's the advanced version for when you're just like really <laughs> willing to hear the truth and go for it. And then on the more timid days, I would say, or do, do both, but on the timid days you could put your hand on your heart again and just say, the beings that love me unconditionally, please help me in every way today and leave it at that. Yeah,
0: beautiful, yeah. beautiful. simple and beautiful. Alana, where can people find you?
1: You can always find me online. So I've just launched a new version of the website. It's got oh. lots of like little hidden treasures and a free Oracle card reader and oh. lots of fun things. There's a play page where you can do a dance journey and there's like a a number randomizer that you can click on. It's lots of fun. So <laughs> it's just alanafairchild.com.
0: Oh, fantastic. I, we'll, we'll all be logging on. Alana, it's been so wonderful. Dancing with, with you <laughs> with words and uh, maybe we'll go outside and do a proper dance in a moment. That Tell sounds that. great. Thank you for being our guest.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Walter.
0: Thanks for listening to Expanded Thinking. To purchase Alana's books and Oracle cards, head to the links in our show notes. Next week on the show, I'll be talking to legendary ABC broadcaster, author, and afterlife explorer Barry Eaton. Stay tuned. And in the meantime, if you like our content, please subscribe and leave us a rating.
1: Expanded Thinking podcast is hosted by Walter Mason and produced by Talking Words. The podcast is recorded on Gadigal land. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging.